When I was a kid growing up, our block had a lot of kids on it, but very few parks nearby. So if we wanted to play baseball, which we often did, we just had to go out in the street and kind of go for it as best we could, which meant there were no empires. Any disputes were just adjudicated by some degree of, he was out, no he wasn't, that was a foul ball, no it was fair. And I remember one particular game where the arguments just sort of escalated, he was out. No, he was safe. A little bit later, that was a foul ball. No, it was a fair ball. It was foul. No, it was fair. And I remember thinking, having had some spiritual formation by then, knowing that God was all-knowing and all-powerful, and I, the question occurred to me, why doesn't he just shout from heaven what I knew to be true? He, he was out. <laughs> But there was no voice from heaven, and I don't know how we eventually resolved it, but it was resolved. And it, it just showed to me, as it furthered my education, to realize that God, as he works on this earth, works through people, works through you, and works through me. When we were in Advent, we saw that the Lord, when he was speaking to Zechariah and speaking to Mary, he sent his angel Gabriel to give the prophecy that Jesus, that God would come down as a human, that he would be God enfleshed, he would be incarnate. And so we celebrate that. But now we see before us through the gospel reading that Cindy just read in Luke's account that that Jesus has arrived and 40 days after his birth is where we are brought to, to the temple specifically with Mary and Joseph and they are dedicating Jesus as was the custom for families, Jewish families to do for their firstborn. And yet we see who is giving the prophecy this time. It is not angels about what this Christ child will be, but it is Simeon. It is one, he who is devout and righteous and so in a really kind of interesting way, the shift, the, the focus on incarnation shifts from God in flesh to a person who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that same blessing that Simeon is experiencing and that the Lord is using to speak through him about who this child is and what it means for him to be on earth is something that still speaks to us today. Like Simeon, we are to be having and living out of the Spirit of God inside of us. There is, in essence, an incarnational aspect to this calling that God has on each of our lives. And so that's what we want to explore. What does it mean to live an incarnate life, to live incarnationally? I think there are a few insights that are worth considering. First thing that occurs to me is that when we think about living in, incarnationally, which means that the Lord's Spirit is indwelling us, we, we know that we are living with the Messiah already coming, already have done his work, already setting into, into motion what will be an ultimate triumph of, of his work, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, conquering our greatest concern, our greatest issue, which is sin, and pre preserving us from an eternal death. We will all die at some way, sometime in this life, 
but we need not die eternally. And the Messiah has come to set us free from that. And so the first thing, when you, if you're taking notes, the first thing to note about the incarnational life is that the way Simeon's expressing it, I would say to use a current phrase, he's beginning with the end in mind. When he says, it, he says, now there, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. By the way, if any of you are particularly uh, uh, focused on liturgical elements of praise, this is another one of those canticles that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And this is called the nunc dimittis, which literally is a shorthand Latin, which means now dismiss. Now I can go in peace. Why? Because I know how this will turn out. I know that the fact that your Messiah is here means that he will complete his task. And all the promises and all the prophecies that were, were made in what we call the Old Testament now have their fulfillment in this little child when he grows up and when he does his ministry. And so Simeon can look ahead and say, now dismiss. I've seen what's going to happen. He can live. He's been living with the end in mind. He's been living with the anticipation of the Messiah. Maybe that, that actual phrase, begin with the end in mind, jogs your memory. If you're sort of an older generation, you've, you perhaps recall Stephen Covey's renowned book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's one of the classics of self-development in a business or professional context. He has seven habits that if you do them, you will be up and to the right for the rest of your life. I don't know. It's just a good way to, to conduct yourself is essentially the gist of it. But the second habit is this. Begin with the end in mind. And what he means by that is to, that if you're doing that, you should align your attitude and your actions with the outcome that you're focused on. Attitude, actions, focused on where you want to be, focused on the outcome that you would like to have. But in, in this episode with Simeon, he already knows the outcome because he knows the promises. But he has been righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit has spoken to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. So we are called, likewise, to live with people with the end in mind, knowing that Christ has already achieved the victory, knowing that now in this time we get to live that out day to day and situation after situation, relationship after relationship, to be God's person, to be God's place of encouragement where someone needs encouragement, to be his voice of challenge where someone needs challenge, to be his voice of forgiveness where we've been wronged. There's so many opportunities for us to live this out, but it is a calling upon each of us that if we're going to live as faithful servants of the Lord, as Simeon was, we need to live with the end in mind. Dallas Willard has a nice way of framing it when he says this, those who are not genuinely convinced that the only real bargain in life is surrendering ourselves to Jesus and his cause, abandoning all that we love to him and for him cannot learn the other lessons that Jesus has to teach us. So this beginning with the end in mind is a first step to really experience that, that place of God's revelation and leading. The psalm gives us a perspective, the psalm that Jacob read, when it's, you recall the verse that says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. What is it? This is a question I regularly ask myself, what is it, Lord, about this life that I'm enjoying so much that I'm forgetting 
you as a priority or I'm allowing that enjoyment to, to take too much time or, or allow my, my sense of righteousness or holiness to get frayed or to get just, just allow the weariness of the things that happen in our day-to-day life to kind of be a pall over me from time to time. Need to ask that, Lord, what is it? Help me refresh my mind and my heart, Lord, to see that one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. But there's so much in this world that is good, but it's not the ultimate good. And so let us not use that to somehow say, start to drift away from the Lord. Let us live incarnationally. You know, the Nuctimitus, which is the song of Simeon, in the... In the Book of Common Prayer, it is in Compline. It is a part of the, what comes after evening prayer. Before we go to bed, if you're doing the daily offices, you will say the Nunc Dimittis. You will say essentially what Simeon says, because it is a quote of Scripture. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now may, you may now dismiss your servant in peace from my eyes of seeing your salvation. That is such a great bookend to the end of a day. If you're in the habit of that, or if you want to just explore that, I really commend that to you. It just says, Lord, I mean, the days, some days are easier than others. I hope you guys have been rested and refreshed a little bit over this holiday time. But hey, it's January and it's all back. And here we go. So just to be able to have that time to say, Lord, um, this is you've promised. You, you can dismiss your servant in peace. I know that you are my redeemer. I know that I have salvation in you. So begin with the end in mind. The second insight I think that's worth discussing is it comes out of, out of his words when he says, um, Sovereign Lord, he says, you're a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to, the, to your people Israel. But he says later on when he addresses Mary and Joseph, he says, this child, he, hold, he picks up the child and he holds the infant Jesus, and he says, this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too, speaking specifically to Mary. To live incarnationally then is to live boldly. Jesus is the Messiah who's entering the world already overcrowded with gods and idols, with competing power structures, with all kinds of brands of immorality, and also claims to religious authority. This is the big mix, this stew of worldly humanity that he is being born into. And none of these vested interests are going to go willingly to cede what they have to this Messiah so-called from their perspective. But we know who he is and we know why he has come. For us then to live out the gospel faithfully is to do so in the midst of this hostile environment. See, when Jesus came and when he offered us salvation, it was never meant to be a private event. Just like, okay, it's just you and me, Lord. I pray the prayer. I'm received. I'm going to follow you. I'm really not going to tell many people. Um, I'm just going to, it's just me and you. We're That's not how it works. He saves us to be part of his community, part of his redeeming group, part of the people that are going to say, that what you're looking at, world, is is an idol. What you're focused on 
will never bring salvation. In fact, it'll bring destruction. What you think is religious and sacred, if it's not connected to Yahweh and his son or motivated by the spirit, is a falsehood. The Lord doesn't come down and referee kids' baseball games. And he doesn't come down and tell truth to all the people that we would love you to, that each of us would love him to tell truth to. Instead, he uses each of us to come alongside and to be bold and to risk, to risk saying, this is Jesus, or to risk saying or being Jesus to that person. I think in this new year, when I think of what the church is called to do, one of the most unique aspects of any church's calling is to be that, literally that witness for Christ. Having that opportunity, looking for opportunities to speak about who he is in your life to those around you. Some of you may have heard the term living incarnationally. It's somewhat current. Uh, It usually means that wherever I go, I'm just going to embody the presence of Christ to those around me. And that's good, and that's necessary, and that's helpful, and it's actually somewhat of a tonic to people that would just kind of thump somebody over the head with Scripture and say, you know, you got to turn to the Lord. But you can't have one without the other. You have to be one who's equipped to speak what Scripture says, to challenge people lovingly, to invite them to understand who the Lord is. You, we do that. We, we, we have the credibility through what we do, through when we're alongside, and usually this works most this usually works with people that we know people are in relationships with our family members our colleagues our neighbors one of the reasons i love this christmas time is it allows me to get together with my extended family members and we've been praying for them who don't know god for a while and we're still praying and i pray that we have the opportunity to advance that conversation one more one more yard one more Uh, level, one more degree of connection. And as I think just uh, as the various conversations I've had with many of you over these months and and years, last couple years, I know that's true for many of you as well. There's just people in your life that you could say, I've been praying for this person. I'm looking for the opportunity to speak to that person. Here's my colleague that I've really been praying for. So we don't need to be obnoxious about it, but we do need to be bold enough to trust that God will lead us into conversations, that God will give us in the midst of heated and challenging times that often come with family, friends, and colleagues. He'll give us the the grace to be his person in the midst of those things. And so if I think about living incarnationally, I want that to be more true of my life. I want to be bolder in invitation. I want to be bolder in asking questions that get people to think. And I'd want that for each of us. The, so final, the final insight is just to, of, of living incarnationally is to do so by the Spirit. You know, we begin with the end in mind. We're living boldly. And we're doing so in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at how Simeon is introduced to us. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. In a very few brief verses, Luke is mentioning the Holy Spirit three times. Now he's doing that in part so that or primarily so that we would understand that, that Simeon's song, as it comes down to us, his liturgical act of worship in, in saying what he's saying is utterly motivated, uh, utterly prompted by the Holy Spirit. 
He's not making this up. He's not just there randomly. This is all part of God's plan. But in that same way, his experience is something that God makes, has his own version of that in our lives. There are times where God leads us, where he gives us a particular conviction about something. And, he, and we know that it's going to happen, but we don't know when it's going to happen. I think one of the greatest things we can do, just being encouraged by Sim, the way that God was working in Simeon's life for something so significant, is, is to cultivate the practice of what some people call walking in the Spirit. It starts with an expectation that God's Spirit is leading me, that He is going before me, that He has that so-called conversations that seem random aren't random, that this is part of His plan. And we, we, he gives us opportunity, gives us defining moments in that process. Is it indeed a process? I think if Simeon was not righteous and devout, as he's described, would he be in that place of being able to be moved by the Spirit? The more, the closer we come to the Lord through opportunities of his leading, and we say, Lord, I'm going to respond, then he expands that revelation of who he is. He expands the opportunities that he gives us to be his faithful witnesses. It is an amazing thing. And so my prayer for myself this year, my prayer for us this year, is that we would draw close to the Lord through the power of his spirit. That we would say yes to the, his nudges and his leadings. If we shrink back or if we fail, we would quickly say, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, I whiffed that one, but let me, you know, get me, get me back in the box. I want to I wanna go again. I think if we would do that, we would see him move in amazing ways and we would be that much closer to him. Now that also happens as we pray, as we take his word into our lives. It's not just, you know, a Holy Spirit only revelation, but he reveals himself through his word, through fellowship, through the Eucharist, the Holy Communion that we'll celebrate here. There's so many ways that the spirit is moving in us, but he's doing that so that we can allow his spirit to flow through us to those around us. And so to live incarnationally is to do so by knowing how it ends. We know that Christ will come again to claim us. We know that in this meantime, he will use us to bring more people into his kingdom and the amazing privilege that that is. We will do so as we live, as we live boldly, trusting that those kind of scary situations he brings us into, those risky conversations that he's put on our heart, he has a purpose for that. We can't keep the Lord shut up in our own hearts. We need to express that hymn to others. And finally, we do so as we live by the Spirit, cultivate that, that sense of being led by God's Spirit. Do that, and we will all be able to give praise for a year of living incarnationally. May 2022 be such a year. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.